Hello and welcome to a new series of short WI podcasts looking at why COP26 matters for different issues. I'm Nicholas Walton. And in this episode, we're looking at COP and the circular economy. One really missing piece of the puzzle has so far been looking beyond the energy to our consumption and production to a circular economy. You're listening to WRI's COP26 Shorts podcasts. Here's the regional director of WRI Europe, Stintje van Veldhoven. COP26 is about achieving everything that we said we would do in Paris. And if you look at all the commitments that are being made, and if we look at where we are, we're not there yet. And one really missing piece of the puzzle in many countries has so far been looking beyond the energy to our consumption and production. In short, looking beyond the energy to a circular economy. Because nearly half of the emissions that cause climate change come from how we make and use products and food. So it's absolutely crucial that at this COP, we see that many more countries are recognizing that the circular economy has really been a missing piece of the puzzle and that we need to start working on that. And it's very encouraging to see that about 70 countries have now taken up circularity in their NDCPs. And so massive work on the circular economy is going to start. And it's very important that this is highlighted at this COP, the link between circular economy and climate change, because we cannot achieve Paris if we only look at energy. We need to look beyond energy to our consumption and production. Because fundamentally, the circular economy is about being able to do more with less. There's more to it, of course, than that. But that fundamental piece of it is why it needs to be a basic building block of a low carbon economy and of meeting the emissions reductions that we're looking at at COP, correct? Yes, absolutely. It's that and it's that in the context of a world population that is growing to 10 billion people around 2050. So this is very much the agenda of decoupling population growth, consumption growth from growth of emissions. It's the new decoupling agenda, basically, the circular economy. And we have been used to decoupling growth in energy use from CO2 emissions. And now we need to decouple our consumption patterns from rising CO2 emissions. And we can do that. There's many strategies. It's not just recycling. It's actually much more that we can do. And you're looking at COP for explicit commitments to this. So that gets onto the question of how you can actually measure circularity. Yeah, measuring is, of course, crucial. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done in the metrics on circularity because you can look at it from many different angles. Uh, but we have been building up more robust knowledge about how much CO2, for example, do you avoid if you recycle cement? It's up to 70%, right? So these kind of knowledge has been developed over the years and this can start to form a basis for actual targets, I would say, for circularity. And that is why I find it so encouraging that many countries have now taken up circularity as part of their NDCs because they recognize the need that to work on Paris is to work on energy and to work on the circular economy, decoupling growth from the rising CO2 emissions, both in energy and outside of energy. And this isn't just something for more sophisticated economies to deal with. It's something that affects everything from Vietnam, Bangladesh, through to the Netherlands, Japan or whoever. Well, production systems and mechanisms span the globe. So when we talk about a circular economy in the context of our current world of today, this means very much that economies will have to change around the world and around the globe. And this will also create new jobs, by the way, because if you have to start reusing materials, then you need to reassemble materials or you need to repair products before you start recycling. 
because trying to increase longevity of products is also a way to reduce CO2 emission and to achieve that decoupling. And because these, all of these trade flows and these production flows are really connected worldwide, this is a worldwide agenda. And this also creates some very positive incentives. For example, I, uh, uh, I went on a visit with Dutch King to a manufacturer of labor clothing in the Netherlands. Uh, and so this is a company that produces only 100% recyclable clothing, so circular clothing. And so they work together with their mill in Turkey and with their production facility in Pakistan to actually produce this. And so the fact that there are employers in the Netherlands that request full circular clothing means that a company in Pakistan is starting to work in a different way. And it is exactly these kind of links that we see all across the world in nearly everything that we consume. There is an international component. So we cannot do this without, let's say, making this a global agenda. Sticking with your experience as a minister in the Netherlands, dealing with circular economy questions, how does it actually work from a policymaker's perspective? What, what kind of levers are there to pull? Well, there's two very concrete examples. For example, uh, the European Commission is currently working on a mandatory amount of recycled plastic in new plastic products. And that means that across the plastic industry in Europe, there will be a demand for secondary materials. And that means that there is an economic business case to actually ensure that you collect these secondary materials and prepare them for reuse. So that is one very effective way of doing this. And uh, I really must commend the European Commission for the leadership that they show in uh, the field of circular economy. A second very important element that both governments at all level, but also large companies and even small companies can do is with their purchasing. With our spending, we steer. And if we decide to request circular products, then we also create a market for new companies and we create a market for new business models. And for example, if uh, the government of uh, a certain city would say all lighting that we are going to need in our city from now on, we're not going to buy the lighting equipment, but we're going to buy the light and make sure that the company that provides the equipment remains the owner of the equipment, then you create a market for different business models that will stimulate companies to look differently at material use, differently at material design, and create a whole different incentive in the economy. So legislation is very important, procurement is very important, and of course, you can also help companies and stimulate them to set up new business models and new concepts by giving subsidies. So there's very, very different ways in which you can steer this agenda moving it forward. And that was Stintje van Veldhoven on why COP26 matters from the standpoint of the circular economy. The other seven episodes in this series examine everything from why COP matters for air quality, food and land use, oceans and for business. There are costs associated with acting on climate, but there are even bigger costs associated with not acting on climate. The challenge for us is often the costs to act are in the short term, and for a business, the costs of not acting are much longer term. And you can find plenty more on COP on our website, wri.org. And you can, of course, also subscribe to the podcast on all good podcast apps. I'm Nicholas Walton. Goodbye for now.